0: let's go ahead and start welcome those who are listening online let's begin with prayer gracious heavenly father we ask your guidance today as we uh, embark on your study regarding the symbols uh, of atonement I ask that you guide me as the teacher open our hearts and minds that we may learn some of the lessons that children of Israel failed to learn please continue to bless our group Uh, in the name of Jesus amen we're studying lesson number six atonement and symbols part one this is going to be continued next week with part two i actually want to begin in friday's lesson someone read the second quote from the sda bible commentary and someone else take the third one from the desire of ages please
1: to many it has been a mystery why so many sacrificial offerings were required in the old dispensation why so many bleeding victims were led to the altar? But the great truth that was to be kept before men and imprinted upon their mind and heart was this without shedding of blood is no remission. In every bleeding sacrifice was typified the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world.
0: Okay, hang on just a second. Now typically when we read this quote without the shedding of blood, what is what follows later? <clears throat> Without the shedding of blood, there is no... Remission. Forgiveness.
2: Forgiveness.
0: Typically, forgiveness. For, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness is what we typically read. You read in the New, New International Version or some of the other versions, remission. they have replaced the word remission with forgiveness.
3: Oh.
0: And I'm not a Greek scholar, and I don't know what justified them doing that. But in the in the King James Version... So, which is what Ellen White uh, was reading and what she quoted it says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission." Uh, Tim has gone into exhaustive detail discussing what being remitted or going into remission, you know, from a healthcare model means. You know, we want we want to be remitted back to our previous unfallen state. Our previous, you know, we were created for immortality. We were created to live forever. We weren't created for for death and sacrifice so this is one of the things that um god was trying to imprint on the minds of the children of israel with the sacrificial well not only the children of israel but everyone from adam on down uh with the sacrificial system that without the shedding of blood there is no remission from sin all right who's uh someone take the third the next quote please since the announcement to the serpent
4: Since the announcement to the serpent in Eden, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Satan had shown that he did not hold absolute sway over the world. With intense interest, he watched the sacrifices offered by Adam and his sons. In these ceremonies, he discerned the symbol of communion between earth and heaven. He set himself to intercept this communion, He misrepresented God and misinterpreted the rites that pointed to the Savior. Men were led to fear God as one who delighted in their destruction. The sacrifices that should have revealed his love were offered only to appease his wrath.
0: Okay. In the first discussion question, as according to Ellen White, quote above, Satan perverted the meaning of the sacrifice. In what ways could we be in danger of perverting the meaning of Christ's sacrifice? My first answer would be reading the Sabbath school lesson would be the first way we could pervert the meaning of Christ's sacrifice. Because there are some, there's some language used in the, in the Sabbath school lesson that, in my opinion, perverts the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. We'll examine that here shortly. All right, let's go back to Sabbath lesson. Someone read the second paragraph.
2: When repentant sinners brought their sacrifices to the Lord, they were acknowledging that they were sinners who deserved death. But they were also manifesting faith, trusting that the Lord would grant them forgiveness by accepting the life of the sacrificial victim in their stead. Assuming responsibility for our sin is indispensable. This is known as repentance and confession. Only those who, in the light of the cross, see themselves as sinners in need of forgiveness and humbly find in the Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away their sin will experience cleansing.
0: Okay, when repentant sinners brought their sacrifice to the Lord, they acknowledged that they were sinners who deserved death. <clears throat> this language, "deserved death, um, I found a bit fascinating. So I went to a Bible search engine and I typed in several different derivatives of deserved death. And I came up with some texts. Someone look up Deuteronomy 22, 26. Someone else look up Luke 23, 15. Uh, someone else look up Acts 26, 31. And one other one, Romans one, thirty-two. And we'll start with a Deuteronomy text.
2: Do nothing to the girl. She has committed no sin deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders his neighbor.
0: Okay. This is the Mosaic law being given to the children of Israel. And this is involving the case of a defenseless girl who has been raped. And the order is do nothing to the girl. She has done nothing deserving death. This is one of three texts where the term deserving death uh, is written in the Bible. <clears throat> the other two uh, we'll get to in just a second. Who's got the Luke twenty-three fifteen?
1: Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him.
0: This is Pilate speaking regarding our Savior, Christ, admitting that he... Pilate has found nothing that Christ has done that deserve to deserve death. This is one of two texts where deserve death uh, is written in Scripture. Who has Acts 2631?
5: They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or
4: imprisonment.
0: Okay. This is part of the trial of Paul when he was taken captive in Rome and held for quite some time and ultimately taken back to Jerusalem. This trial of Paul is the one where all four of the derivatives, deserving death, deserved death, deserve death, and deserves death are found. So all, all four of those variations of the deserved death are, are found in the trial of Paul. He says, I've done nothing deserving death. Others say about him, he has done nothing to deserve death. They say he's done nothing that deserves death and has done nothing desert, that uh, deserved death. Okay, we'll play on words. All right, who has Romans one thirty two?
4: Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them.
0: This is at the end of Romans 1. This is where we find the definition of the wrath of God. It's detailed out in verses 18, 20, 22. We're very familiar with this passage. And Paul says that, you know, he's talking about envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossipers, slanderers, god haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And all they know that God's righteous decree. Which righteous decree? The law of
2: love.
0: Okay. Is Paul talking about God's law of love, or is he talking about the Mosaic law?
6: Talk about the ordinance, so you'd think it would be the, the Mosaic law.
0: And That was my thought. If there's a compelling argument um, the other way, does God's law of love decree death?
2: Only in that it's a natural law.
0: Ah. Only in that it's a consequence of violating the God the law of love correct so we've got several ways to look at this god's righteous decree i.e the mosaic law you could be talking about the mosaic law the mosaic law did decree death for lots of these things that were mentioned ahead of time and if we're talking about god's law of love then we're we're talking about a death that results from a natural consequence of violating the law so my, my question is is that well, you you have two two possibilities: is it a consequence, or is it an imposed penalty? Is it a punishment? The death is it the death and a punishment, or is it a result of violating the law?
2: Well, when you put God and and righteous together, you know, I mean, is God about imposed penalties?
0: Not the God I believe in. Mm-hmm. I found seven texts in all of Scripture. They use deserving death, deserves death, deserve death, or deserved death. And there's only one that is even remotely applicable to what our lesson states here. The repentant sinners brought their sacrifices before the Lord. They acknowledged that they were sinners who deserve deserved death. My question is, do sinners deserve death?
5: The wages of sin is death.
0: Okay. What does that mean?
5: That means if you sin and don't make things straight, you have you're looking at debt.
0: Eternal. Here again, is this a consequence of the behavior or is this a imposed punishment or a penalty from an angry being who is offended that his law's been broken?
4: It's a result of, of what you've done. It's not imposed.
0: You're saying it's a consequence, the wages of sin. The sin pays its own wage, in other words. someone else, the, the, the wage isn't paid by someone else. Dr. Moses?
6: Well, as I was reading that paragraph, this, um, uh, there's a few key words in that um, accepting the life, deserve death, would grant them, etc. and it's all from a certain perspective. Mm. And so you can go through and select out those few words and make it read in a way that is understanding of the consequences of sin. If Instead of using that particular word, deserved, you could say when repentant sinners brought their sacrifices to the Lord, they were acknowledged that they were sinners who were walking dead.
0: Who were on the path to death. I, I, I completely agree. Absolutely. But that's not what right. the editors and authors wrote. You know, back to my original question is how you know the, the, the question asked in Friday's lesson how are and what we we'd, we'd be in danger of perverting the meaning of Christ's sacrifice
5: it seems like and this goes back to one of Tim's points um, when you talk about deserve and those kind of words that I see in this paragraph it's all about justice in the mind of a person or, or someone who is assigning a certain legality to God's justice. And Tim goes back to justice is always defined by the laws that are in place in the land or the country or the kingdom. God's law is love and so his justice is mercy and salvation and healing. And so That sentence, I think, is that they were acknowledging they were sinners who deserved to be healed or deserved healing because that is the justice enacted under a world being controlled by the law of love.
0: Mm. Any thoughts?
2: I agree. If it were up to God, that's what he would do. For
4: everyone is them,
0: save them. Someone look up Romans eleven thirty-two, please.
4: All people have disobeyed God, and that's why he treats man treats them as prisoners. But he does this so that he can have mercy on all of them.
0: What does this say about God's government? What did, what version was that, Ron?
4: Contemporary English version.
0: Okay. You know, the NIV says that God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all.
5: Well, all have sin.
0: <coughs> Correct.
5: So it has to be. But it depends on how we take care of that sin.
0: Well, what does that mean that he may have mercy on them all? Uh, is this a Unitarian, Universalist uh, theology that God is going to find a way to save everyone even satan and his angels Mm
4: -hmm. no it just saying it's offered to that he's
0: it's offered to them yes okay so so it appears we have something to do with this correct sure So we have a choice in the matter yes all right
2: he doesn't force you to accept his mercy
0: any thoughts on any other comments suggestions questions on this before we move on to sunday's lesson
5: well, we can choose to either accept or reject this person.
0: Okay. Why, why would someone reject mercy? Why would someone reject God's mercy?
6: They believe a lie.
0: don't understand. Okay, they believe a lie. They don't understand. Any other reasons?
6: They're going so fast in the opposite direction. They're beyond reaching out.
0: Okay, so they have so damaged their faculties that they can't even perceive an offer of mercy.
6: We have stories illustrating that when Christ gave mercy and forgiveness on the cross, the people who he was extending mercy to were, it appears at least, beyond the the ability of understanding what he was offering them and the ability of taking advantage of that.
0: Okay, and perhaps Judas as well, mercy extended to Judas, Judas had so damaged his faculties that he didn't perceive that mercy was being offered,
1: or didn't want
0: to or chance? flat out rejected it, Yes, I think we will see that in the in the very end that those outside the wall of the holy city will come to the realization that they have either believed a lie about God or they so damaged, damaged their, their higher brain functions that they, they were unable to perceive the mercy of God or they just flat out they understood the truth about God and flat out rejected it
1: But still, is, aren't those choices that people make Sure. They are damaged, but they
3: make the choices to begin
0: with. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir.
3: So if if, there, if God doesn't have any imposed penalties, what exactly is this mercy? Then what does it mean? What is it?
0: <laughs> That's a great question. Anyone take that up?
6: God has provided a remedy. God has provided a cure for this infection called sin. We have strayed, and He has provided the way of bringing us back. And He has demonstrated His character in that He loves us in spite of our straying. And so, His mercy is His ability to reach out to everyone, regardless of where they are, and draw them. If I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that answer your question?
3: I guess. I mean, I agree with that, but I'm just. I'm just trying to think. How? I guess that's mercy.
0: When Adam and Eve sinned, something changed in their wiring, and when they brought forth their sons, their sons were infected with this faulty wiring, and every human that's been born since has been infected with that wiring. Now, Christ is is the one the one different because He was the product of a sinful woman a a woman born under law and the holy spirit so he had humanity and divinity equal parts and don't ask me to explain that one because uh, i don't understand the mechanics of that but none of us had a choice about being born none of us had a choice about being born sinful we were we were just popped out and there we are and all we're concerned about are our needs feed us clean us you know Show us affection. The, the, that's all our concern was about self. And we were just infected with this from day one, from our first breath. And a merciful God wants to heal that infection in you and me and our families. So he takes, the, he took the steps, many steps, to bridge that gap between a humanity that had, that had turned away and infected itself, even though, you know, other than Adam and Eve, the rest of us didn't have a choice in the matter.
3: I guess when I think of mercy, I guess we really have to define our definition of mercy. When and I think mercy—I think you have, you have to have been wronged at some point to have mercy, maybe. And I guess that that wouldn't that wouldn't fit into this situation. That wouldn't fit into this scenario here.
0: Well, we were born sick. We were born infected with a with a terminal disease. But
3: how has God been wronged, though? Every time we sin, how? I mean, is he is is he really like deeply offended every time we sin? I mean. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at here.
6: If you're in a love relationship with someone and someone strays from you, that hurts. Mm-hmm. Every time. To, to welcome them back is merciful and compassion. Christy? If you had a
2: pet and you saw it get hurt or wounded, wouldn't that hurt you? So every time God sees his children to do something that damages themselves, that's what he hurts over. And so that extension of mercy and grace is to help heal us so that we stop doing those harmful things to ourselves. So that, you know, I mean, you want your children to be happy and healthy and and doing positive things. So I I think he
5: is hurt by what we do.
0: Does that help? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you for that question.
5: I think I see his mercy partly as his intercession as well because, again, not an imposed penalty, but he knows full well the destructive power of sin. And from the moment Adam and Eve made that decision, he began interceding against that destructive power of sin to even allow the world to continue um, and is still interceding in our behalf to, to hold at bay the full destructive power of of our behavior and what we're doing. And we believe that that's going to be withdrawn as things get worse. But I see that as his mercy.
0: It's I want to make clear that I, I'm not I'm not advancing a theology that states that God does not discipline his children. Okay? We have very clear evidence in Scripture that God does discipline his children. He, e A either imposes a discipline in order to to wake us up to the danger of the path that we're on or he allows us to reap the consequences of our choices and behavior again in order to wake us up to uh, the recognition of the destruction of the path that we're on so i'm I'm not saying that god does not impose (laughs) discipline discipline and punishment i view as two different entities and they come from two different root words Discipline comes from the root word disciple, or to disciple, and punishment comes from punitive. And you who are parents in here are probably well aware of the difference between punishment and discipline. And you who have been children are well aware of the difference <laughs> of punishment and discipline. Although at the time you may not have recognized it, as we get older, we, we can see the differences between punishment and discipline. Let's move on to Sunday's lesson. Someone read Leviticus 17.11. This is where we start talking a lot about, about the blood. We hear a lot about the blood of Christ and the blood of the Lamb and the healing blood and power in the blood and washing the blood and cleansed by the blood. and Everybody's bleeding.
4: For well, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul.
0: Okay. The lesson says, what important message is in this text to us? What does this tell us? It
2: says the life is in the blood. So then you have to ask what that means.
0: Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Okay, if something interrupts the circulation... What correct this is the follow-up to verse 10 this is god's order against eating meat with blood still in it and his explanation is for the life of the creature is in the blood i've given you the blood to make atonement for yourselves on the altar for it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life any thoughts
2: well, all of this was to teach them something wasn't
0: it yes it was designed to teach them how do they view the word atonement do they see that as payment for their sins or was that
4: did they understand the word atonement to mean reconciliation drawing back
0: brought back into an understanding with their creator again that i believe was god's intent we sometimes look back with contempt on the children of israel and think that if i'd been there i wouldn't be like these boneheads <laughs> However, think about Adventists having been in slavery, in pagan slavery, for ever since the 1600s. Think about how darkened uh, our understanding of of who God is, or what God is, or anything remotely spiritual. Think about how darkened we would have become, and that's only in 400 years of slavery. They were embracing idolatry before that, which is why God allowed them to become captive. So God has taken small steps to, to educate the children of Israel to who he is. You know, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. What does this say? What's the, what's the the what, How do the Ten Commandments begin? I am the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's being presented as the invisible God. The only gods these people have known for 400 plus years have been gods that they can see and touch or that jump out of the Nile, or that flow through the Nile. He's being presented as the invisible God. All of these steps are being taken to bring the children of Israel into an awareness of who and what God is. And here he tells them, Thou shalt not eat the blood, life is in the blood, the blood is to make atonement. Who has John uh, 6, 56?
6: Then Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, If you do not take the flesh of the Son of Man for food, and if you do not take his blood for drink, you have no life in you. He who takes my flesh for food and my blood for drink has eternal life, and I will take him up from the dead at the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who takes my flesh for food and my blood for drink is in me, and I in him.
0: Okay, now what? Here we have a Seeming direct contradiction to the Mosaic law, which says that thou shalt not eat, eat any meat with the blood still in it. Is Christ referring to an actual eating of uh, his flesh and drinking of his blood? Come on, of course not. Oh, exactly. Last week we did a communion service, which is symbolic of its symbolism of eating the flesh, drinking the blood. So what can we logically conclude that the blood represents?
1: Life.
0: The life, the character, the principles, and, and correct. Okay, good. This is what God's trying to teach the children of Israel. Don't
5: you wonder how in the world they were supposed to
0: get that? I, yeah, I do. Absolutely. And it's not surprising that uh, you know Satan attacked this system, probably easily perverted it.
6: But you have to keep on reading a little bit in this text. Because when, you know, verse 61, when Jesus became conscious that his disciples were protesting about what he said, he said to them, does this give you trouble? What then will you say if you see the Son of Man going up to where he was before? No, he was trying to present concepts that they were just not anywhere close to understanding.
0: Right. And even
6: to start somewhere and jar them out and stop them from their... I mean, it's like us. If we hear something, we almost automatically think of what it means. And if we were grounded in that, and someone was trying to get us out of that paradigm, something would have to happen to stop that paradigm and make us start thinking all over again. And so this is a hard statement
0: mm mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, even his disciples did. not I think
6: it was intended to be a hard statement, to make them stop and say, okay, if you can't understand, you know, you need to rethink all what's happening. Number one, when you see me on the cross, and then when you see me leave, you know, you've got to start thinking about other things rather than riding on a, a donkey into the, the kingdom of the,
0: the new Jerusalem. Right. All right. Well said. Yes, in the back.
5: If you go back to the beginning of the chapter...
0: Is this chapter of John? Yeah. John John 6, 6, okay.
5: It's where Jesus fed the 5,000, and then they followed him across the lake, and he said, you're following me because I fed you. And he's trying to turn their minds from a physical thing to a spiritual thing.
0: Hallelujah. Correct.
5: And because he talks about... They talked about... um, Moses giving them bread, and he said, "But I'm the true bread that mm-hmm. came from heaven." and so going back in the context, he was trying to shift their thinking you
0: know, absolutely from what
5: they can just experience physically to what he wanted them to experience spiritually.
0: Thank you, well said down in uh, let's see the first first paragraph in Sunday's lesson, mm-hmm. let's see it says. He was willing, he, meaning God, was willing to accept the death of another creature in order to preserve the life of humans and continue fellowshipping with them. Is that correct? No. Thank you. Someone look up Hosea 66, 6, please.
5: For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering.
0: Okay. Here we have God's real attitude toward the sacrifices. And this is also referred to by Christ in Matthew 12:7 where he's talking to the Pharisees, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice." By then, by Hosea's time, the sacrificial system had been so perverted that the meaning and symbology of it was was going right over the people's heads and they're just Bringing animals into the slaughter, because they've been told to. Because their parents did it. Parents' parents did it. It's what you had to do. So, how do we reconcile this statement? He was willing to accept the death of another creature in order, in order to preserve the life of humans and continue fellowshipping with them. Well,
1: that's the perversion.
0: <laughs> Thank you. This, this, is, this, is, um, this is a pagan theology here. God accepts the death of a lamb. Okay, I'm happy. Blood's been shed. Now I can be just. Now I can continue fellowshipping with you pathetic mortals down there on earth. How do we break out of this thought process? This, this lesson was a struggle for me. To recognize that the whole sanctuary system was a theatrical play or something, a, a, a lesson book, to show that God
6: was... Doing anything and everything to bring them back. Uh,
0: Absolutely, but I mean, this, these these are learned these are learned people that write this that list lesson and learned and you know these people with degrees far beyond mine and and supposedly an understanding far beyond mine that that edit this and, and write this. I mean, how how does this get so? How have we let this get get so ingrained into our thought processes and and? Adventism and Christianity, and specifically in Adventism.
6: Someone has said that if if we have seen further, it's because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And Luther and other leaders of the Reformation began breaking free from a pagan outlook of who God was. But the Catholic Church was not the first church to have pagan outlets of God. You go back to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Mm -hmm. You go back to um, throughout New and Old Testament, there there are illustrations and stories of how we have had this pagan concept of appeasing an angry God. And so it is difficult if you've grown up with the same verbiage to see it from a new
0: perspective. Thank you, well said. Any other comments, thoughts?
6: With the uh, sanctuary demonstration going on downtown, has anyone been there and seen is is one message versus the other or is it just kind of a...
0: Good question. There's a life-size version of the sanctuary downtown.
1: I went Wednesday, Uh and it is impressive to see the size. And to understand to see the physicalness of it, so that you have an understanding of you had millions of people mm-hmm. around this, but it's so small, mm-hmm. and yet it was it was actually very large to carry all the parts of carry it. but the actual guide who takes you through is traditional Christian thought, and you had a variety of of local you know Christian groups represented in probably every group that went through. And there were a lot of amens and a lot of, oh, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It followed traditional thought of the blood had to be paid mm-hmm. so that God could forgive us. Mm-hmm. All the symbols that <clears throat> led towards that in that this is Christ's walk through this, through life and the sanctuary as represented in the sanctuary to make that payment. Mm-hmm. And so um, it did not go against anything that... Any other Christian group currently would hold as true for the sanctuary service.
0: Okay.
3: Do other Christian groups place a bunch of an emphasis on it as the Adventists do? Because I mean, yes. have a- the
0: sanctuary itself? Yeah.
5: Some churches have begun studying that and have done whole series on it, like the Adventist churches have. So there's become an awakening interest in
0: and the symbology of the Old Testament sanctuary.
3: Mm-hmm. Sister White says if we understood
2: the sanctuary message, we'd we'd understand the whole plan of salvation.
0: I think that's fair. Obviously, that's why God instituted the sanctuary system, was to reveal to humanity the plan of salvation. But it got quickly perverted. um, And apparently, we still don't understand it the way we should. Well,
2: how many of us really study it, though, too, the
0: way we should? Good question. Moving on down that same paragraph where... The lesson says he is willing to accept the death of another creature in order to preserve the lives of humans and continue fellowshipping with them. The third point that they make about the sacrificial system is that the killing of sacrificial animal also illustrated the seriousness of sin. Okay, that makes sense. And the costliness of forgiveness. What does that mean? What does it mean the costliness of forgiveness? What does it cost God to forgive us?
6: Well, like to them,
5: Christ it right. right. yeah. cost so. His Son.
0: <laughs> but is that true? Yes. Does it does it does it cost God to forgive us? No. no. no.
5: Does it cost You to forgive? Us? Um,
0: okay, that's different. We're going to get to that in a minute, Jana. Good question. Uh, does it? What does it cost God to forgive us?
6: If you have someone who is in dire straits financially and you cease what you're doing and go to help that individual it is costing you something not monetarily it is taking something of value from you to intercede for them it costs god something it costs um you know heartache and time, and devotion, and we often, in the judicial or the payment system of of salvation, think of paying a penalty. But this is costing him something from what it took to do this. Right, but that's we're talking about the method of creating that remedy, correct, healing us, not the act of. Forgiving.
0: I would argue that the forgiveness is simply a manifestation of who God is and that if he is to remain God, then he can't behave any other way. He, he must be forgiving. It, it, it follows with his character. Now, yes, the cost of, of winning us back to acceptance and the cost of providing the healing remedy and the and the cost of waking us out of our stupor is, is has been immeasurable. I mean, God's son said, I will go down and reveal your character. I will, I will do the work you've given me to do. And my understanding, that cost Christ his omnipresence. He's no longer omnipresent anymore.
6: He didn't say, God, I will go down and do this for you so that you can forgive them. Right.
0: right. Correct. I mean, he said, I will go down and reveal that you are forgiving. <clears throat> so I take some issue with the idea that forgiveness is costly to God. In the back.
6: Well that cost God losing part of his creation
0: that he loves. Sin did, but but forgiving the sin didn't cost him that. The remedy cost him all. Providing the healing remedy costs heaven mm-hmm. a great deal. Mm-hmm. Now Janet brought up the question: what does it cost us to forgive someone? That, that's an entirely different mm-hmm. problem. What does it cost us to forgive one another? To lay down our pride. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to sacrifice self-interest. We have to sacrifice our pride. And to us, that's a big deal. It costs us a great deal to forgive others.
2: That comes
0: natural for God. Right. And that's why God asks us to forgive. So that we can get a glimpse into his character. We can get a glimpse into what what it means this is also you know i'm going to fast forward here to thursday's lesson third passage what was the function of the meal offering why did god ask the children of israel to bring you know the first fruits or a tenth of their 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 harvest because this was that
1: that would be the pride of having you know the best the the purest the, the the largest of these first fruits and you'd have to sacrifice that, meaning give that up. That was yours.
0: Right. But but why? Why would he, why did he want to, why did he want the children of Israel to give? Back to him. He didn't need it. It's all his. What was he, what was he trying to teach them? To
1: want that character of humility and of self-sacrifice.
0: The, the character of God himself. God is giving. God is continually giving of himself for our for our betterment, for our well-being. He wants us to give and, and get yet another glimpse of His character. He wants us to forgive for that reason. He wants us to give, give back for that reason. This this, this entire entire system is set up so we get an idea and a, a glimpse of His character. My understanding is we'll spend eternity trying to grasp the width and depth and height and breadth of God's love, and, we, and it, will be, it will be unattainable. We will will continually be learning facets of his character and, and how deep and, and profound his love for us has been Questions thoughts oh, I
1: had a thought. with children you know even in, in the little things of daily life we're teaching we're, we're trying to teach our children that we say give grandma a hug you know give your sister the toy mm-hmm. Why? The, the sister doesn't need the toy we're teaching them to do to, to, to that on a very very small level a very initial level with even children
0: right and why are you teaching them that?
1: Because it, it makes them a better person, you know? But
0: okay. I It makes them a, a more humane
1: person. So Correct. A thoughtful person.
0: Yeah. All right, let's skip to Tuesday's lesson. Uh, up at the top, Leviticus 4, thirteen, twenty-two, 13, 22, and 27. These are verses that they all basically say the same thing, that the person who sins unintentionally or the priest who sins unintentionally or the group of people who sin unintentionally are still guilty of of, quote, sin and need to make atonement for that sin. You you need to bring a sacrifice into the temple. And what do these verses tell us about, quote, sin and about who needs atonement for sin? Uh, Someone look up Romans 3, 21 through 26, please. Someone else look up Romans 5, 12 and 13.
3: Now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to who all believe. There's no difference for all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus.
0: This is a loaded passage. What does it mean that God demonstrated his justice because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished? How can God be just and leave sin unpunished? What is justice? What is justice? Okay. We've we've spoken a little bit about what uh, Laurie had mentioned, what justice is based on. The government being argued, so American justice is different from Islamic justice, which is different from Australian justice. Human justice is different than God's justice. Or is it? Is it? I hope so. (laughs) But we try to make our justice
2: his justice.
0: Yes, we try to we try to make his yeah we we try to humanize God's government. Uh, who's got Romans five twelve and thirteen? I'll go ahead and read that. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that? Adam. 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 And death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Here's that twisting of the wiring that we talked about earlier. Before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. Sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Are we to believe that those between Adam and Moses didn't sin because there was no law? Is that how God justifies leaving? Is that how God's forbearance Leaves the sins committed beforehand unpunished?
2: No, I don't think that's what that means. I don't either. (laughs) I think that means that he immediately started interceding and and holding back those wages of sin.
0: Ah, he started intervening consequences of sin. Interesting.
1: Interesting. It could be when there is no law, it could be in the perspective that they don't understand the law they don't understand the universal laws of god and so if you don't understand that for you there is no law
6: correct in verse 14 it says nevertheless death reigned
0: mm-hmm.
6: yeah. so the consequences of sin were still
0: there yes they were why didn't god suspend the consequences then you don't know you're sick isn't he isn't he just continuing to try to reveal to us that the, you know, this This is what happens when you separate yourself from me, when you, when you disconnect yourself from the only source of life in the universe. Death happens. Okay, I'm going to, have to wrap it up. Thank you for your insights and input. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for going to unspeakable lengths to reveal your character and to win humanity back to trust and acceptance. Uh, especially through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son on this earth. Please go with us uh, for the remainder of the day and bring us safely back in the coming weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen.